Hey Blockheads, it's Chris Thompson, one of the hosts of the Dungeon Master's Block. I wanted to let you know about a new show that I'm hosting called The Story Arc Podcast. Story Arc launched this past week and I would love for you to come and join us and listen in. If you're a GM, writer, artist, creator of any sort, we have stories that will flood your imagination with inspiration. Come and check us out on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and the various other podcasting apps that you use. And now, as you do every single week, enjoy this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. Well, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, Blockheads, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm Dungeon Master Chris. And today we have a special guest. All of our guests are special, I suppose, but <laughs> we have an awesome guest. His name is David M. Ewald, and he is the author of of the great and awesome book of Dice and Men. And Chris, you and me have both read this book. It's fantastic. It is really good. We're excited to have him on. We're going to be talking about how to bring a group together, both in the aspect of how to bring them together as players and how to bring them together as characters. So we're looking forward to that discussion. But before we get into that, Chris, we have some five-star reviews. That we do. And the first one comes from The Jaded Wanderer, a Dungeon Master's Dream, five stars. This podcast is amazing for any new DMs coming to the table. It is everything a newbie could want or need from world building tips to how to deal with problem players and where to draw good inspiration from. They often have great and meaningful guests help them out, which we have one in this episode, <laughs> with some subjects to help add another opinion. Storytime is by far my favorite part of the show, as it often gives me ideas of how to annoy my players. <laughs> uh, awesome. Overall, five stars is understating how great and helpful this podcast is. Keep up the great work, Dungeon Master Jade. So thank you very much, Dungeon Master Jade, for that wonderful five-star review. We thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. We're glad that we're able to help you annoy your players. <laughs> yes, as long as they enjoy it. That's yes, it. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Our next one comes from GM Gary, and it is entitled Silver Dragon Ooh. Five Stars. Now, this podcast is amazing. I listen all the time on Podbean. Even though I GM a different system, the ideas are fresh and relevant, and I sit there in my work truck like a sponge. I love it. There <laughs> I'm we go. assuming he's a silver dragon for our Patreon. I I'm am assuming, assuming so, yes. I think he was just from. Gary, the one episode oh, that we had him on. So, thank yes. you, just Gary. He's GM <laughs> Gary now. Yes, we right. appreciate your support, right. and thank you for that five-star review. And so, after those five-star reviews, we are going to head into the savory part of the episode, the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. So for this edition of The Meat, we are joined by a special guest, David M. Ewalt, author of Dice and Men, the story of Dungeons and Dragons and people who play it. David, welcome to the show. 
Thank you guys for having me on. I've been listening to the podcast for a while, and you do a really great job. It's fun to, to join you. Yeah, we're excited to have you. We're really excited. I know me and Chris both loved your book, and it's really nice to have you join us on the show, and hopefully this will encourage some of the listeners to go check out your awesome book as well. I hope so, too. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. So, David, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself as we get started with this episode? Sure. Well, I'm a gamer, obviously. I'm also a journalist. I'm a tech and business journalist and you know started out I got out of college working for tech magazines and then went on to go work for Forbes magazine and as I got further into my career I started writing more about games just because it was you know what I was passionate about and what I was interested in so nowadays I cover all sorts of different things in the game industry and the tech industry and D&D just being one of them but I also still play D&D with my friends and have a couple different campaigns going so it's you know, this is something I do during the day and at night, so it's, it's, yeah, it's a big deal. A couple of different campaigns, so you're you're pretty active in it then. Well, yeah, I've got the same group of friends that were sort of alternating back and forth between two different campaigns, but you know, there's always a desire for more games the better. <laughs> right. right, yeah. If you're not actually playing, you're thinking about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. With that, I know from your book that you've both DM'd and you have played. What seat do you enjoy being in more? The seat that's behind the DM screen or do you enjoy being part of the story with a bunch of players as well? That's a really interesting question. I mean, I was always a player growing up and up until very recently primarily played the game. And really, I do love that. I love, you know, being a player and sort of, you know, taking action for myself. Mm -hmm. I really just started DMing seriously for the first time a couple years ago and I'm enjoying the hell out of that too i i find that what i really like about dming is two things one is like i enjoy the the creative act you know i was always the time of type of gamer that like i draw characters i would never use or i draw mm-hmm. draw maps for dungeons and things like that that you know we'd never actually play through but i enjoyed creating them and sort of the world but building. you were running through them in your head exactly <laughs> yeah. so now it's really cool that like i get to do that world building and actually share it with people and then the other thing that i was sort of surprised by you know having played i did this a million times but i really enjoy as a dm when the players screw with my plans you know that i did build this giant dungeon and they decide uh, let's not go in there let's go to town instead <laughs> yeah i like that's so much fun for me as a dm and some of the times i've enjoyed the most is like having to think on my feet and make up something else and sort of you know this battle of wits back and forth with the players is, is really a lot of fun <laughs> That's cool. That can be kind of frustrating when you first start DMing, like, oh, why won't you go through my plans? They're so awesome. Oh, yeah. And then you go through like the first time where you completely have to improv and you're like, whatever, <laughs> we're, we're just having a ton of fun. That was a blast. Yeah. It's best to just embrace it. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about your book of Dyson Men? Sure. Well, so as I was saying before, you know, I, I'm a tech journalist and started covering games and you know, I was working for, for Forbes magazine at the time and started covering this new beat of the video game industry and was trying to meet people in the industry and every time I would go to like a convention or talk to a designer or you know a guy an executive at a game company I kept asking the same question I'd say why did you decide to go into the games business and they all said oh I played a tons of Dungeons and Dragons when I was a kid so that got me really thinking about not only if I always thought this game was awesome but it got me thinking about how influential D&D was and, you know, just how big a deal it is in the context of, like, video games are a $65 billion global industry now. Like, it's huge. It's bigger than movies. It's bigger than TV. So the yeah. book is kind of my attempt to figure out, you know, what really is D&D? Where did it come from? What's the history of it? Uh, 
why did it become so influential on these people? How did it build these other industries and influence other artists? And the book is a little bit of memoir in it. It's got some of my own story as like I'm playing the game and playing with other people, but it's also got some of the history of you know going all the way back to to the early days of TSR and Gary Gygax and how the game developed over time and what it is today. That's awesome. So you've written of Dyson Men. You're a business journalist by trade. Is there anything else that you are currently working on that you would like to share with the listeners? Well, I'm working on a lot of things. Um, one thing I'm doing, I have got a new book coming up that's about some emerging technology stuff that's been announced. I'll let you guys know as soon as we're about to announce it. It's, it's, tech, <laughs> it's tech stuff, but it is very closely related to the game world. So it's sort of uh, exciting that way. That's cool. I'm also trying to put together some sort of stuff building off of, of Dyson Men. You know, a lot of people have asked me, you know, what happened to my campaign in that world and starting toying with the idea of actually writing some of that stuff up as like, here's a campaign guidebook or even just like, here's some maps and things like that. So I'm playing with that. Maybe we'll have some of that later this year or next year. That'd be awesome. Nice. Not going to, not going to turn it into a fiction story. Well, maybe that too. Yeah. I love reading fantasy fiction. I've never really written any. Yeah. That's so it's intimidating, but yeah, I'd love to write kind of like a Dragonlance style series about you yeah. know, my own games. Maybe someday. Yeah. <laughs> I think you would have enough people that would be interested in it. That's for sure. So. I'd, I'd buy that. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there we go. <laughs> Perfect. So in your book, you describe this. And so could you just give us a little bit of a maybe excerpt from your book? Not, not really, because you're not going to really be reading it, but can you tell us how you first got started in RPGs? Well, I remember the very first exposure, you know, I guess everybody always remembers their first time. I was a, just a kid. I was probably about 10 years old. And my friend Scott, we were over at his house just hanging out, probably, you know, playing with Transformers or G.I. Joe's or something like that. And he's like, <laughs> oh, look at this thing my brother's got. And he brought over uh, this red box with a picture of a dragon on the front of it. And we were like, this is awesome. And he'd kind of taken it from his older brother's room. So it was like this illicit thing with pictures of dragons and warriors on it. It was, of course, the basic set. And so we started there. We pulled the books out. We got some other friends and we started playing D&D there and were instantly pulled into it. Role-playing games became kind of the primary thing that I did with my friends. You know, we'd get together and we'd play D&D on the weekends. We started playing other games you know we did top secret for a while and a little bit mm -hmm. of some of the other tsr games then we got older in high school like i had a shadow Run campaign that lasted for like three years in high school nice. and cyberpunk and vampire the masquerade and so it was you know it was the thing that me and my friends did together we had these long running campaigns that were really important to us and that just were tons of fun and i still have great memories from so that's really how i got started in rpgs was you know <laughs> my friend stole his brother's books <laughs> <laughs> And you get to play it all. <laughs> I always find it interesting that like so many friend groups around the country are always like, well, what do you want to do tonight? I don't know. What do you want to do tonight? I don't know. Well, let's just watch TV or something. And then with like us, us geeks are totally like, well, what do you want to do tonight? I don't know. We'll just, let's just play Dungeons and Dragons. I can come up with something on the fly for us to do. And it's really cool to have that opportunity to do that sort of thing through the, the role-playing game industry. Right. It's so much more. I mean, I love watching TV. I'll watch movies, but like that's passive entertainment. You know, I'd much rather, you know, be involved in making my own story than just passively consuming somebody else's. 
Yeah. So David, we have, as usual with our guests, a surprise question. So you have no idea what this was coming at you. So here's my question to you. Pretend you're a wizard Uh and all of a sudden something went wrong in your life and you had to choose between whether you could no longer use verbal commands to cast your spells or you could no longer have the somatic component to your spells. Which would you rather choose to not be able to do anymore? Ooh, that's a good one. I'm assuming I'm a high level wizard just because yes whatever you would like to be yeah yeah because if you're a low-level wizard you can just decide to do something else at that point in time but i might lose the somatic components just because you know what i would want i'd want access to like power words yeah you know that's good stuff and those are really powerful spells you know even if i don't want to go around like power word killing people just being able to, to command somebody you know things like that i think would be super useful well, and just imagine walking into a town or having the legend behind you of being the armless wizard right? Yeah. Uh, and how scary that would be for people like, wait, how does that even work? Oh, oh, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. <laughs> he speaks, uh, it's trouble. Yeah. <laughs> His words carry a lot of power. Yeah. <laughs> this is good stuff. So <laughs> That's awesome. So we asked you, David, to come onto the show today to talk about how to bring a group together. And so we're going to talk about this in both aspects. We're going to talk about it as players and as characters, the characters that are in a campaign. So this whole idea of how to bring a group together, how to get them to be a cohesive team together. And I think there's a lot of things that you can do as a DM, as a player to make this something that happens in your group. So let's start off by let's talk about the players and this includes the DM. So we're looking at this from a DM's perspective. How do you bring your players together at the table? Not in the sense of like, oh, we're coming together on Thursday night, but to get them to be a group that together works to have a great Dungeons and Dragons experience. Well, I think, you know, a lot of this has to start before the first session, right? Like a lot of a lot of pulling the game together is involved with planning out the scenario what people's motivations are, what the primary conflict of the adventure is going to be. So I think you have to give this a lot of thought even before you start playing, right? I totally agree. That's something that we at the Dungeon Master's Block always encourage people. A reason for character creation night is not just because it's a, a great idea, but because it can start that adventure off in the right way. I think when you come together at a table for the first time, if you're doing it as like the first time, and this is what we're just jumping right into the adventure. A lot of times you're just sitting down expecting to role play right away, especially if you have people at the table that maybe don't know each other that well, or this is the first time that they're meeting each other. Uh, A night that you get together and you build characters together, you work on, hey, this is what we're going to be doing is nice for them to be able to meet each other, to get to know each other a little bit. And I mean, a Especially during that night, you're always going to have it in D&D or any role-playing game. You're always going to have chatter that isn't having to do with the game and a lot of joking going on. But like in that night, especially, it's like, hey, go for it. We're here to kind of set up the campaign, but we'll have plenty of opportunities to just like kind of get to know each other and hang out. See, I've been been thinking a lot about this going forward, you know, having the ability to do this sort of thing. You might even be able just to do something maybe on a lesser scale, but I've been thinking about setting the stage. If if you're going to start, say you're going to do a horror campaign or something like that, and you want to set the tone right, maybe you start after a cataclysmic event has happened and now you're living in this realm of, you know, quote unquote, raven lofty horror. Something that I've been thinking about is recording myself telling a story with like 
some eerie music in the background and like send it out to the players beforehand. So you're not, you know, I'm not fumbling over my words as I come to the table trying to describe like what's going on in the background of the game as we're sitting at the table. But I thought about doing that where I just write out a little bit of history. A lot of people don't read anymore, which is really, really unfortunate uh, that they don't read as much as they did. But a lot of people love listening to things or watching things. And that was something I was thinking about that might be able to help the atmosphere if you have the capability to do something like that. That could be a lot of fun. I love that idea. And I think one of the things that's really cool about it is it gets the players into the same sort of mental state that you're in. You know, if you're giving them some audio that's very sort of, you know, gothic and spooky, like that helps them understand, okay, now as I create my character, like I know the background for what I'm going to do. And they're going to create, for one thing, it'll just be a more interesting background, I think. But it'll also really help them fit in to your world better. And that makes it easier to integrate all the characters. You know, if one person has created some character that really doesn't fit into the genre or mood, you know, that's going to be part of the problem that you have with dynamics. Yeah. I think it's good to, uh, if you're having these pre-game meetings with your players around you to discuss what the expectations of this game are going to be, because all the different players are going to have different play styles they're going to have different expectations about what they want to happen in the campaign what they're looking for what they're looking to get some of them may be going in with they want to see their hero get to level 20 some of them they don't really care about levels and being able to sit down and together talk about expectations it doesn't mean that oh well i as the dm have to figure out how to get everybody and give them exactly what they want. But it's good as the DM to understand, okay, well, this is what these players are looking for. How can I, with the story, with the world that I'm going to be setting them in, how can I give them an experience that's going to make them all really appreciate it? And I think it's good, too, that the players realize that there's expectations also coming from the the DM and just kind of being able to talk about that, being able to work together as a team to make it a experience that will be fun for everyone. Yeah, I think the talking about the roles that each person will play in the campaign too is really important. You know, going into it where everybody's a rogue might be really, really fun. And that could create an atmosphere of, well, we're very stealthy. We're very, you know, sneaky. We, we lurk in the shadows. But if that's not necessarily what the campaign is going after, if it's a straight up, you're in the front lines of war all the time, that might not necessarily be the way that the, the group could go about doing it. But if that's what the group wants to do, that's important to have your players know that going into it, whether we need to have more defined roles to have a more well-rounded group or whether you want to be all glass cannon wizards that are going into a battle. Mitch, that would be like your dream, I'm sure, going into something <laughs> yes, like that. all but, wizard campaign. That sounds great to me. Yeah, so, so setting the atmosphere right based off of the roles that each person is going to play is a really important thing to think about too as we go into any, any sort of gaming group as a DM or a player. Yeah, you know, that raises too like the sort of classic debate over like party comp position you know the sort of epic fantasy cliches you have you know the paladin you have a thief you have a wizard you have a cleric you know you you know we have one of every class kind of and those exist for a reason you know i don't think every campaign has to look exactly the same that you always have to have people fill those archetypes but i think those archetypes exist because well number one because it makes the campaign a little easier like yeah you want to have a cleric so you can heal people but I think they also exist because those sort of make sense narratively and make sense for the group and give people dynamics from day one. You know, if we all complement each other in different ways, that makes it easier for the party to get along and for people to play together. As opposed to if we're all from day one competing, if we're all trying to do this exact same role in the party, 
it's going to make things a lot harder. So I think those stereotypes do exist and it helps to kind of hew close to them for a reason. Well, and I think that that's another reason why being able to talk about what the roles are going to be in the group before you just jump right in is a really good thing. If you come to a table and your first time getting together with this group, nobody knows exactly what it is that the characters that have been created because they did it on their own time and you're coming together to play for the first night and who the people are has not been discussed yet. And oh, it's revealed. Oh, we've got three rogues and we have a fighter and so so like then yeah there is that competition perhaps and maybe the group is just like well this is not a good group this is not exactly what we wanted i wish we had a magic user or maybe there's no rogues in the group and so you guys come across a dungeon and there's situations that a rogue would really be helpful in such as like being able to pick a lock or search for traps and the group is just kind of like frustrated because nobody communicated ahead of time and there's no rogue Now, if you do it ahead of time and you talk about it as a group and you get together and you're able to say, well, I would like to play this. I would like to play this. I think it's okay. And I think as the DM, you should definitely encourage your players. Listen, I want you guys to play what you want. I don't want you to feel corralled into playing something because, oh, we don't have a cleric. Well, then, you know what? Somebody needs to be a cleric. Come on. Who's going to bite the bullet? Who's going to be the cleric? Not that it's biting a bullet. Clerics are awesome. But you know, you know what I mean? Like you shouldn't have to feel forced into playing yeah. something. But if you're able to, as a group beforehand, determine, well, you know what? We have three people who want to play rogues. And as a group, we're okay with that. We're okay with having a bunch of like sneaky characters who want to play rogues, or we're okay with having a group like Chris, you were talking about all wizards. And as a group, we understand that when we go into this campaign, there might be moments where we are like, man, I wish I had a rogue right now, or I wish I had a tank right now, or I wish I had a healer right now. But it's a group decision together that it's like, well, you know what? We're, we're all getting to play what we want to play. And we're looking at this as a challenge rather than just a frustrating, there wasn't communication to begin with and that's why in this moment we're having a difficult time yeah i think what you just touched on having clear lines of communication clearly articulating what the campaign is about where it'll be you know having those avenues of communication for people will help break up some of that confusion that sometimes uh and i think most times leads to anxiety stress about what's going on maybe it gets to a point where people are so at odds with each other they're great people they're great personalities they really like each other as friends but the game just isn't fun for them because there's too many times where you're butting heads with the other players. I think cleaning up the way we communicate as players with each other can potentially help solve some of those problems before we even get to the table. I would like to ask you guys, so the Dungeon Master... Uh, is the one who is rolling a lot of die that determine results. They are creating and weaving this story for these players. And I think a lot of the times the person who's being the dungeon master, who's taking up that mantle, is either someone who is naturally a leader or kind of becomes a default leader for their group of players. I mean, a lot of times they're the one organizing when nights are. They're the ones who are a lot of times saying, all right, it's time to level up it's time to do this as the dungeon master if we're talking about the dungeon master being like the leader of a group and some people may disagree on this but do you think that there are responsibilities or things that a dungeon master can do to cultivate this atmosphere the correct kind of atmosphere with all the players to being able to be a group that is able to come together and have a uh, a good time together and have a time where everybody is able to have fun and have a good Dungeons and Dragons experience. 
think that's absolutely the case. Dungeon Masters absolutely have a responsibility to their players. They have lots of responsibilities, but I think first and foremost, the Dungeon Master's job is to make sure everybody's having fun. Yeah. You know, a lot of people think, oh, if you're a DM, it's your job to wrangle the rules, make sure nobody's cheating, roll the dice, check the rule books. No, it's not. You're not a computer. Like the job is people came there to play role-playing game because they want to have fun. And if four out of five players at your table are having fun, that one guy who isn't, you know, that's going to affect the dynamic. The other people aren't going to have fun either. So it's, you know, you have a couple of different ways to, you know, make sure everybody has fun. I'm sure we'll get to some of that stuff. But I think your primary responsibility is make sure everybody's enjoying the style of play, make sure everybody's getting a say, everybody's getting a turn, everybody's, you know, everybody's showing up and and getting something out of the experience. And especially in this day and age, like there's a million different things competing for, our entertainment time you know people did not have to come to your house or log into your your web page or wherever you're playing they did not have to make that effort and spend that time and if people are, are taking that time instead of playing a video game or instead of going to a movie or instead of just hanging out with friends like they're making a real sacrifice there and they're giving you something so the dm has to give something back to make sure that they're getting a return on their investment that they're enjoying themselves i love how you put it and i think one thing that always makes me want to come back to being a dm is not that it's like an egotistical boost to myself but it's that moment when you see your players having fun because of the effort that you put into you know having side conversations or out of game conversations about you know how's your character feeling where's what do you think is going to happen you know kind of directing traffic a little bit i think when they come back to the table or even doing that at the table when your players have that smile come across their face because they're having fun. Like that makes all of the work that you were talking about, David, really worthwhile in the end. And I think that's one of the responsibilities of the DM and also, you know, having the correct people at the table that are willing to also put in that, that sort of work. Cause you could, you could almost have the DM who's, you know, quote unquote leader of the group. But then, you know, there's this famous video on YouTube of this crazy guy dancing out in a field at a concert. And it's the video is all about leadership. And it says a leader really isn't a leader unless he has a number two person who's the first person that comes along and brings more people. So almost having a player who's willing to put in that work as well to really be invested and help players be invested could be something that's really kind of having that dynamic duo going into a game could really be a lot of fun too. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times, you know who that person is going to be i know for for me chris having you be somebody who we switch off and on uh, every other week doing dming we are often realizing and coming to the table with the same kind of approach and we understand what the responsibilities of a dungeon master are and so i i know you and me have had countless moments where you're the dm or i'm the dm and something is going kind of wonky in the group and we'll share a look like yep i understand what you're going through right now (laughs) and it's been nice to have it's it's always nice to have at least one person in your group that you can kind of confide in it doesn't have to be somebody who dms but you know that there are just some players out there who they understand understand the dynamics and they understand like the group dynamics as far as players go and like i mean sometimes it's a you know settling people down sometimes it's about making peace in the group because maybe there's an argument among players sometimes it's just like having a player that understands what it means to role play and being like hey can you help this other person who seems to be kind of struggling with this why don't you as a player 
and maybe even through your character kind of help them to shine because you as the DM, you can do that. But sometimes it, it's even more powerful when it comes from a player. And it's nice to have that guy who you can kind of talk about how it, on the sidelines and be like, so what can we do if there is a problem or uh, not necessarily a problem, but what can we do to make this experience a lot better. And I want to touch on something that David, you were saying before that I really think we need to just drive home right now is uh, David, you were saying like, as the dungeon master, you need to be making sure that everybody's having fun. And I think that is so, so true. I think that to some of us, it may come really natural to be in the seat of the dungeon master and recognize when you have, let's say you have four players and you have three players having a great time. And there's one player who's not some of us really just naturally can pick up on that, whether it's just facial expressions or uh, something that they're doing or not doing. And we just pick up on that. And we're like, you know, they don't seem to be having as much fun. And then we can look for ways to do that. And some of us don't really pick up on that. And that's okay. That's something that we can work on and try to work harder to pick up on that. But I think that you're so right, David. That's something as the DM we should be looking for. You may have players around your table that you consider better friends than other players at the table. You might consider some of them just friendly acquaintances. But when you're running the game... You shouldn't be picking favorites. You should be looking to have everybody be the main characters, not not having one guy be the main character and the other three being supportive characters or two and two, whatever it is. You're there to give everybody an amazing time and you want to give each and every one of the players and their characters the time and the effort that they deserve. For sure. And I think part of that, too, it comes down to also when you're preparing the game. You know, it's easier to do that when you've had a campaign going for a while, when you know the players and you sort of know what each player likes, what they are looking for, and what they respond to yeah. in the game, because then you can plan for that. So like in the campaign I'm running right now, you know, these are guys that I've been playing with for years, so I know them really well. But I know in particular, you know, there's one player who really loves to role play. There's another one who likes role play, but if a session is all role play, he's going to tune out. You know, he needs some combat. <laughs> he likes combat. He likes rolling the dice. He likes a little bit of power gaming. So, like, I know if I'm going to build a session, you know, let's find time in this uh, in this week's adventure somewhere. I'm going to put in a combat so that he doesn't completely lose interest. Or just like the other guys too. I know if I'm, you know, if, if there's going to be a, a game where you know for four hours we're just going to battle. You know, one of these players is going to get bored. So maybe I'll give a chance, you know, the Warriors clear the field for a minute and one of the generals comes out and that player can go out and role play a bit and talk to the general. So it helps to know what each player wants and then plan ahead and say, OK, in the se next session, I know I've got this for player A and B, this for player C. You know, everybody's going to get something out of this next session we're going to do. That brings up an idea that I've never actually done, but I think it might be helpful is I, I've never actually sat down and thought, in that manner and actually wrote it out on like a note card or in a document or whatever it was of saying, okay, these things happened. I need to go back and make sure that I follow up with those. You know, I have six people that play in my campaign. So sometimes that can be really hard and sometimes it doesn't happen. But having that in front of me, that idea of, I know that this can be a lot of fun for the characters that I have in my game because I've written it down and I can make sure when I'm planning or in the heat of the moment in the game, I can just pull that back out and say, all right, now we need to, we need to deal with that sort of thing because continuing and showing your players. I know for me, 
as a player, when this happens, when the DM shows like my character attention like that, it's instantly like, oh yeah, I totally want to come back. Even if it's something bad that happens to my character because of decisions, I still totally want to come back because in that moment I was able to shine as a player. And as a DM to see that from your players just reinstills the fact that this is why we do that. This is why we love DMing. I think that something that's really important for a DM to be looking for and to try and pick up on too is those cues that your players will give you that there may be something wrong or something that they're looking for. And I mean, I think that sometimes there's things that players will do that as a DM, the immediate reaction is to get upset or to get angry at, such as a player pulling out his phone and checking Facebook or playing a game or whatever it is. I mean, that rightfully so, I believe that that can be upsetting because you're you've put a lot of work into this campaign and to see people pull out phones and just start messing around with them is kind of frustrating. But it's good to take a step back and ask yourself, why is that player pulling out their phone? Have I been giving that player the attention that they deserve in this game or have I kind of been focusing on the other players? Have the other players been role-playing with this other player or are they kind of just feeling left out now it might come down to the fact that it's just this player is just pulling out his phone because they're addicted to their phone and they because we're we're conditioned as a culture to pull out our phones (laughs) it might just be a rude thing but there might be something else going on there we have talked about different play styles before and different ways that players react to things and we've talked about like the antagonistic player and the antagonistic player can be a player that just something is going slow and they just try to throw a a wrench into the gears to make something happen this might be coming in the form of oh you're in this role-playing session like you were talking about david and while you're in a tavern and so you know what this one player decides well they want to start a tavern brawl and so as a dm sometimes we might look at that and we might get frustrated and be like come on, we're doing something here. But to take a step back again and go, well, maybe is this something that I'm not looking at and saying, you know, this player, like you were saying, David, has a love for combat. And maybe they're just really been sitting there waiting for a long time for something like that to happen. And I mean, if this is happening every every two minutes, like that's a problem. (laughs) Some players just want to some players just want to see the world burn. Right. But like taking a step back and not just immediately reacting by being upset or anger or like telling somebody that what they're doing is wrong, but trying to analyze why is it that players are doing things that maybe you don't see as being conducive to what is going on at the table and going, you know, maybe there's something we can work towards together to make this a better game for that player and thus for everybody. Yeah, it's interesting that when we talk about the skills of being a dungeon master and when you look at the source books and, you know, whatever game it is and they talk about what you need to do, like one of the most important parts of the job is something that really doesn't actually come up in those articles and in those books, which is there's an important aspect of just having good sort of social skills and not everybody yeah. has that but if you're trying to run a campaign like it really helps to sort of just be able to look around the table and know like is this person interested in what's happening is this person angry right now is this person happy like a lot of it is just like knowing how to deal with a group of people and it could be the same skills that might come into play if like you're you know, at a, par- a party or in a bar or something, and there's five people in a circle talking, like, you know, there's an ability, you know, that you can develop of like knowing, you know, is this person engaged in the conversation or is this person not? 
And, you know, the more you can grasp that and the more you can feel like, well, what are these people in the room experiencing? Are they having fun? Are they interested? Are they angry about something? Like, the better an understanding you have of that, the more you can address it in the game. And you can, you know, change attitudes. If someone's angry, you can make them happy. If someone's bored, you can make them interested. But it, it's really useful to be able to, to read people like that. And isn't it so funny that, I mean, it, we still get this stereotype as Dungeons and Dragons players, as role players in general, but especially you go back years and years and the stereotype of people who played games like Dungeons and Dragons is that they are the most socially awkward people on the planet. <laughs> That's the stereotype of it. But I mean, Dungeons and Dragons is one of the most social games that has ever existed. And especially as a DM, like you have an opportunity to learn such amazing social skills and pick up on social cues. And yeah, I think that it's kind of funny that that's the stereotype that gets hammered down and people have in their minds for that. I talk about it a bit in my book, but I think that one of the reasons why role-playing games has this stereotype of you know socially awkward people is because obviously it's true to an extent socially awkward people are attracted to games like this and i think it's because having a rule structure like maybe you just aren't good with other people like you're shy you don't really know how to talk to other people you don't know how to interact in the group you could go to like you could join a club somewhere or you know a sports team or just, you know, go hang out wherever and try to force yourself to learn how to interact with people. That's really hard because it's structureless, but a role-playing game gives you structure. So like, I don't know how to talk to people, but I know if I sit down at this table, there's now a context and there's rules. So I know, okay, well, this is what I can do within and with and outside of the game. I don't have to be myself. I can be a brave paladin. So that gives me a chance to sort of fake it, you know, and to learn how to interact with people by pretending to be someone else. So that might be why it attracts people who, you know, are lacking in some social skills. But the more you play, like, it's just, it's training ground. That's what it is. You know, you play these games and as you get more through that process, you're learning then about group dynamics and how to have relationships with people. That's also why I think, like, campaigns and people who have played for a long time, like, those people are friends. If there's a campaign that's been going on for 10 years, very rarely are the people in that campaign group just solely like, I see this person every Sunday afternoon. <laughs> right? That's the only time I ever see them. Yeah, you know, right. If they game together for a long time, I guarantee you those people are friends outside of the game too. It's funny because I've seen people come to the D&D table and their first or second time they are super shy and they're super quiet. And that's the person that I have seen when I've seen this person outside of the D&D table, that they are super shy. They are not confident at all. They are just quiet. And then I've seen people at the table who are that way all the time. And I've seen them at a D&D table if the atmosphere is the right one, that it's welcoming and it's encouraging and we want to play a game together and we want to see who the character that you're role playing is. We want you to shine. We want everybody to be a important person, both as a player and as a character. And I've seen those shy, shy, very not confident people. I've seen them do things that I'm like, wow, that's crazy. That's like they just gave a speech 
as their character in game, they were so confident. Like we cheered afterwards. We had such a good time. And I think it's such an amazing opportunity, like you said, to build social skills. And it's all about the atmosphere at the table. And you want to be able to cultivate that kind of welcoming mutual respect. And I mean, it's this whole idea of all for one, one for all. Like we should all be at the table wanting to have a group experience, something that's going to be fun for us as a group. But everybody also should be interested in the individuals. Everybody should be interested in each character, each player. When you come into a group and you've built a character and you go, you know, I like this character and it doesn't even have to be about liking. But if you're just in your mind, like I'm pretty much going to ignore this one person and this one character because I just don't really care. Like there's a problem in that. We should all be at a table looking to have a good time together and have it be for everybody. That's part of the reason why as a DM, I try to force social interactions or, you know, adjust combat in such a way that like somebody's being overrun and maybe it's the character that one of the other characters has a problem with and they're like well i can either let this person die or save them and in that moment you're helping create an atmosphere where they're caring for somebody outside of the group and the group dynamic could completely change at that moment because one person at that point either feels indebted to the person or is just extremely thankful to the person or whatever the outcome is the player atmosphere and the player contribution from that person will then change dramatically. And as a DM, I think both in social interactions and combat, whatever interaction type you're having, it's really important to think about that all for one, one for all mentality, because we can, as DMs, have a lot of not how it plays out in the end, but we have a lot of control in creating those situations where people will have to think about the overall group dynamic rather than just their single character coming, doing their thing, being awesome, and then going home successful. I think it's okay to even, as the DM, kind of state to your entire group, just openly, publicly state, hey guys, this is the kind of atmosphere, this is the kind of game that I want us to have. I want us all to be concerned with the group, and I want each and every one of us to be concerned with the individuals around the table as well. And I'm just going to throw this out there because sometimes this person with certain groups gets the worst respect in that kind of manner, but that includes the dungeon master. (laughs) I mean, we're coming to the table to play a game, and the dungeon master is the one telling the story, but they're also somebody who's playing the game. And there's this strong mentality of, that I believe we've seen a lot of in the past couple of years that, hey, the Dungeon Master isn't against the players. Like, it's not supposed to be a, I'm here to kill the players. It's, I'm the one facilitating the story so that I can help you guys have a good time. And I think that's a two-way street. The players need to understand that the Dungeon Master is also there to have fun and should be like, hey, this guy's put work in for us. Let's all become invested in this story together. And it's all about a mutual respect and a mutual appreciation for each other. So let's talk about bringing characters together. We've talked a lot about players and how to bring the group of players together. But there's definitely, especially when you first start out a campaign, (laughs) there's definitely when you come to the table with, oh, let's introduce all of our characters. Let's figure out who everybody is. I mean, there's always these weird because nobody makes like normal characters. They always make very strange, weird characters with weird quirks. (laughs) And 
it's always the sense of like, oh, how is this group of really weird oddballs going to end up together? And that's, I think, something that a lot of DMs have trouble with and a lot of players have trouble with. So let's talk about like, how do we bring these strange, weird oddball characters together as a group? That comes back to you know what you're talking about of sitting down with the players beforehand and telling them what the scenario is like. I think when you're doing character building, it's important to have a back and forth with each player when they're coming up with their character background. What I've done in the past is you know even on the day, like maybe we all meet in person to roll dice and to come up with like our basic, okay, you're the cleric, you're the thief kind of stuff. But then before we play, I might send the players home and say, all right, now, now I want you to go home and really think about your backstory. You know what my world is and sort of what this campaign is going to be like. You know what the other people at the table, you know, this guy came up with an elf rogue and that guy came up with a barbarian. Like, go home, think about your particular backstory. Like, how did you get to this place? And then send me an email or call me up and tell me, like, this is what I think my character is. This is my explanation for how I ended up at this tavern where we're all now going to go on an adventure. And then you can, as the DM, you can work with them on that backstory. It doesn't have to just be a situation where like, well, this player really, really wants to be a drow bard who's got amnesia and a really (laughs) bad case of kleptomania. Like you don't have to let them pick literally a strange story that they came up with to keep them happy. You can work with them to find something that fits within your campaign and also connects them maybe to the other players. It doesn't always have to be explicit. I don't think every player has to have like, okay, I hate player A, I love player B, I'm competitive (laughs) player C. Like if you want to do that, that can work. But I don't think they have to be roped together that strong. But I think it's important to work with the player on their backstory, like to have to give them some things that that touch the other players, you know, some elements to interact with in the future and also to help explain the group dynamic of like, all right, why are we working together again? Yeah, that's why I love character creation night and like getting together as a group, setting the stage for the campaign, what you as the DM kind of explain, this is kind of what it's going to look like as far as what information you can tell them. You know, if you're starting in a town, maybe you tell them about the town and then working with each of the players on their backstories. It doesn't mean that you're there as the DM to hinder them being creative. What it means is that you're working with them to refine their character, to make it make a lot more sense in the campaign that you're going into to make it maybe have there be ties to certain characters from the very beginning. You can set up a campaign that, oh, well, your characters already know each other because you're part of the same guild because we sat down together and we figured out what your characters want and what their backstories are. And it makes a lot of sense. Would you guys like to both be part of this guild? And it's about encouraging them to be part of the world that you're building. And I've only ever seen that have positive results. I've never seen a player go, no, I don't want to have a part in this campaign. I think if you have that happening from the get-go, you know there's going to be an issue there. I mean, it's about sitting down with your players and working together on backgrounds to make them feel more a part of your story from the beginning. I think there's the classic trope of introducing the big bad guy early on in the campaign in such a way that it affects everybody. And obviously, if you're in a small town and this big bad guy comes through and does something, the players are going to look around and see a lot of peasants, and then they're going to see, oh, there's 
three other people that are looking pretty tough, that look a little bit different than the rest of the group, we should probably band together to go and fight whoever this is or whatever it was that did this thing to our our groups or our families or whatever it is that we find ourselves here in this town for whatever reason. I think that can be one way of bringing the group together around a single common enemy. I mean, that that always works. That brings countries together in our world. So, you know, how can it not bring four people together? And I also like to lay some ground for, for future enemies, too. Like, it's super important up front to just be like, okay, yeah, we're all going, we're all fighting this prince. Like, set, set that first big bad. But when you're doing the character generation and coming up with their bios, like, you could do something like give them a connection they don't know about, like a future enemy. You know, in the campaign I'm running now, you know, I have one player who, part of his background, like, he owed a big favor to an underworld figure who sort of spirited him away. The reason why he was in this town is he was hiding from some people and this underworld figure had sort of set him up in this new town. And so another player coming up with his backstory, as we're going back and forth, I suggested the same underworld figure owes that guy a favor. And it wasn't something the player had come up with. And it wasn't even something that we dealt with in the story for like a long time. This was the underworld guy was not going to be the big bad boss, but it's helpful to have that, connection between the two players also because at any point then say we start playing maybe those two players are the ones that are like they're fighting with each other you know they're robbing each other suddenly you have this thing in your back pocket where they've got something in common you can give those two people a common enemy and now they have a reason in the game to work together more than any ever before and so that makes them relate to each other so one thing I've noticed from some players, not all players, is that if they just develop a character that is kind of that oddball character and they have a lot of goals that are contrary to what the goal of the campaign is or the goal of the group is, I've noticed a very few amount of players that will basically tell you as the DM, hey, like it's not my job to figure out how I fit into this group. It's your job. You're the DM. You got to figure out a way to accomplish me into this group and it's this whole idea of whose responsibility is it the dm or the players to fit into a group as a character what do you guys think about that whose responsibility is it and how does that work i think it's everybody's responsibility i mean like we've said you know if you're sitting at that table we're all making a sacrifice to be there we're giving up some of our precious time to play this game together and so everyone has an obligation you have an obligation to other people at the table to make sure they're having fun even if you're not the dm you know you want people to come back and play with you next week so everyone's obliged at some level but i think it's only fair that like if you're the dm and you're running the game you're taking a leadership position like a little more of it is on you and also because it's easier if, if you're the dm to sort of push pieces around and smooth over wrinkles you know you're in the position to do that maybe better than a player is but it's at some level it's everybody's obligation yeah, I would I would echo that. I think it's both the players and the DM's responsibility. And I think the question needs to be asked of either party. If the DM's just like, I have a story, and if the party doesn't come together, well, it's the party's fault. It's not my fault. Then you really have to ask yourself, why am I DMing? Uh, I think on the flip side of that, if there's a player who's like, well, you can't, it's your responsibility to make me a part of this group. Yes, that's partially true. But at the same time, if that's a common problem, then you have to start digging a little bit deeper and, and it might end up 
with somebody having to leave the group because they don't understand the importance of becoming a part of the group. And it may it may be that that's the person's character and it won't happen until the very end or the people need to really prove themselves to that character so that they become a part of the group. But at the same time, there has to be some sort of progression or the players need to know that this is going on. Otherwise, that sort of thing can be really frustrating if it's left unspoken within a group dynamic and can become really unhealthy. So yeah, I, I echo what you said, David. I think it's both of our responsibilities as a DM and as a player to work towards that group togetherness uh, in any sort of game that we play. Yeah, I totally agree with both of you guys. I think that this once again, and we've had this be kind of a reoccurring theme throughout this entire episode, is it harkens back to good communication between everyone and not going in blind to a campaign, but being able to kind of know where everybody's at from even the get-go with who their characters are, what the DM's expecting from this campaign. And I mean, there is a responsibility, I think, on the player side to there is a point to where they need to figure out why their character is interested in going along with this campaign. And that's why you sit together with them before the campaign even starts and kind of say, hey, listen, like, here's some information about the campaign that I would like you to know, or even set parameters. As a DM, it's your responsibility to do that. Like, if you go into a campaign and you want these players to go through a campaign that they are these glorious heroes that save the world from in coming doom and you don't set any parameters and they all your characters come up with evil terrible people as pcs and then you go oh the world's in peril like we need you to save it and they're like no we don't we don't care about that or oh we actually want to join those evil forces then you can't be upset about that uh, because there's nothing wrong, I believe, with saying going into the campaign, hey, guys, like I want you to be good characters for this campaign. Uh, that's one of the parameters I would like to set because then there's going to be no confusion going in. But if you don't set those parameters and then players make their characters, they put all this work into it, and then you're trying to funnel them into this story that their characters that you uh, didn't like let them know anything about this story or or this campaign or just kind of what you were expecting and you try to funnel them into your story without being flexible at all, then that that is a problem and that was something that the DM had as a responsibility and that something that you did wrong as a dm you shouldn't force players to go in a certain way uh because of something that you failed to mention you wouldn't invite six or seven people over to your house on friday night and tell them hey come on over we're gonna play monopoly and then when they show up be like ah psych we're all going out in the backyard and we're gonna shoot basketball like, you <laughs> do that to people because they'd be unhappy because that's not what they came there for. So like, yeah, unless they really liked basketball over yeah, Monopoly. One person might be, <laughs> might be psyched. Yeah. But the more you can set expectations, people, that's what people are going to look forward to. They're going to be ready for it. And they're going to be more likely to have fun. I got I got a question. I'll, I'll uh, ask if you guys. go for it. Yeah, no, I listened to a recent episode where you're talking about convention games, and that's something that I've never done a lot of in the past is run games at conventions, but I'm starting to do that more. And a convention's a really hard place to bring the party together because, like, those are people probably who don't know each other. You might have, you know, six different players who've never even met in real life. So what kind of things can a DM do in that situation where you're sitting down at a convention, you're only going to know each other for four hours, these players have never even met each other in the real world, much less the fantasy world. Like, what can we do there to make sure that those people come together in the short amount of yeah. time you have? 
Yeah, I think one of the advantages, and this was my experience with a catacon when we went there, was we decided that we were going to have things pretty structured all the way through because we were only given a four hour time slot to run the game. So to get all the way through a one shot and have that kind of nice wrapped up bow tie at the end can be kind of tricky depending on how the group goes about. But what we did is we created the characters beforehand and it was very, very structured to the point where it's like, you know, you can't really not be a part of the group because we did a dungeon crawl. So I think in a campaign setting, I think my advice and for my experience would be having more structure in place, having, you know, kind of the set expectations of what players are going to do, what each character is. I mean, I don't know if you necessarily need a whole long backstory for people to read before they get there, but knowing that you were already kind of a group to begin with going into this convention setting could be really helpful to that group to help bring that group together automatically. I think too with convention games, a lot of times if you're running one, then you've already created character sheets for all of the players. And so you might allow them to do a couple things like maybe pick a weapon that they're going to be proficient in. So maybe they have a little bit of flavor, maybe uh, name their own characters, but because you've created these characters and because you've created this campaign and yeah, Chris, you're right. Like, especially with convention games, it's going to be a little bit more structured than you're just once a week game group with your friends at home. It's going to, you want it to be more structured because you have timelets and stuff like that, but you can set up pre-made connections like you have all your players around the table and you show them the character sheets and however you decide to let people pick or you hand them out. But you can say, you know, this character, this dwarf character, fighter, and this dwarf character, barbarian, well, they're actually brothers or this is the father of this son. And so tell a little bit about maybe this this little connection that they have. You know, the father's always trying to be overprotective of the son, barbarian, dwarf. And then the characters who are sitting there who haven't met each other before they have a connection from the gate they have this connection of i'm his father uh uh, he's my son or even just setting it up like well you're the healer and you very very much have this i need to protect these people's lives over even my own and just setting really simple connections can be something that's really really good to set up there to be interactions with the group from the get-go i think also it's good to when you're running a game at a convention and you come together with a lot of people who are most often going to be strangers you don't usually get a group of four or six whatever it is people that are like oh yeah we all came here together and signed up for this game we already know each other but to have this part at the beginning even if somebody's late just where you can introduce yourselves really quickly and you should be a role model in that if you're running a convention game make sure to stand up make sure to shake everybody's hand welcome them to the table tell them you're happy that they're there and you're looking forward to gaming with them just set that precedent of being welcome from the gate i think one thing too that a convention has in its advantage that we don't necessarily have at home is that most of the people if it's a straight up gaming convention are there to game they're really excited about being there and you can carry over some of that excitement to say hey we're you know we're going through this together there might be the every once in a while person that's like no i'm just in this game to win and that's that's about <laughs> it but even ed greenwood's story a couple episodes ago where he was talking about the girl who had never played before came in with this group of guys who were like oh my gosh this is going to be the most awkward thing in the world in the end they were lifting her up on their shoulders because of you know the 
amazing sacrifice that she made of her character to protect that group. And I think that's one thing that conventions have going for them is everybody's there to game no matter how much experience that they have. And people really just want to have a good time. So I think people are more apt to buy into what's going on in a game at a convention. That's awesome. I think that's a lot of great advice there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use some of this at my next convention game. And I'll let you know nice. <laughs> Perfect. And what is your next convention? Well, I'll be at Gen Con in August, but I'm not sure if I'm going to run a game there. I'm doing a panel there. I'll be running games. I'll be at uh, Grand Con in Grand Rapids in September and at Game Hole Con in Madison in November and running games at both of those. Hey, well, maybe when you're in uh, you're at Grand Con, maybe we can all meet up. That'd be great. We live in Grand Rapids, so awesome. that's, our, that's our stomping ground. <laughs> So, David, we want to thank you again for coming on this yeah, episode thanks. of the Dungeon Master's Block. Uh, we really thank you for your advice on how to bring a group together. And your experience and your advice is, is invaluable to us. So we just want to say thank you on behalf of all of our listeners for the wisdom that you've imparted to us. So thank you very much for that. Oh, well, thank you very much for, for having me. It's fun to talk to you guys. And I've gotten a lot out of listening to the podcast, too. So keep up the great work. Perfect. Thank you. So, David, we just want to give you a moment. If you would like people to contact you or if they have any questions about, you know, things that you're working on or anything like that, do you have any places that you'd be willing to share with the listeners that they can get a hold of you? Sure. Best thing to do is go to my website. It's David M. Ewalt, E-W-A-L-T dot com, David M. Ewalt dot com. All my contact stuff is up there. My email address is there. If people want to email me directly, you can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, on all the different social networking sites there's links there and also my schedule of upcoming events so like cons i'll be at and stuff like that and and links to buy my book you can do that too from my website so, <laughs> yeah it's all there go do that stuff yeah check out david's book it's awesome you will not regret it yeah so thank you very much david for coming on we we really appreciate you being here it was fun thanks so I know we've thanked David multiple times throughout this episode for coming on and sharing with us his knowledge of how to bring parties together. But we just want to say thank you once again to him for coming on and for writing such a great book that I know Mitch and I were both inspired by. So if you would like to get in contact with us to share your stories about how this episode was meaningful to you, how you have helped bring parties together, send us an email over at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. You can also go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review and like the Jaded Wanderer and GM Gary at the beginning of the episode, you'll get a future shout-out on our podcast. So go over and do that. And you can go over on Google Play Music and find us there, as well as Stitcher and any other Android podcasting apps as well. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. If you do either of those, you will get updates about the show, D&D memes, and all sorts of great role-playing goodness all around. We have a Patreon member shout-out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout-out goes to... Eric Mills! Thank you so much, Eric, for your support on our Patreon page. Yes, thank you. Eric is a feared bronze dragon, oh. so fear him as you see him streak across the deep blue sky and breathe fire on all of us. 
he's able to be doing that with his headphones in and listening to all of our bonus pods as he streaks across that blue sky and blows fire on everybody. (laughs) That is very, very true. So thank you very much, Eric, for your support. But with that, as we sadly have to do with every single episode, we have to close it out. So we thank you for coming to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about, of course, the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the players or annoying your players at the table. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great night. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. Bye.